Welcome, everybody, to our interview with Dr. Suzanne Judd. She is the principal investigator of the New Rural Health Study, along with Dr. Shantice Allen, who is her co-investigator here at UAB. And for this podcast, we're also fortunate to have Elena Kidd providing an assist with the interview as part of the Office of Public Health Practice collaboration with me on this interview. Elena is a program manager and internship coordinator with the Office of Public Health Practice. I think that title covers a lot of territory. I know that, Elena, you do a ton of work, not the least of which is building out this new website for the new School of Public Health. So thank you for your collaboration on this podcast. And one of the reasons why I asked you all to get involved was because I think the rural survey might connect with some of the mission of the work that you all do. What do you think? How does the rural survey connect with the mission of the Office of Public Health Practice? Well, first, thank you for having me, Dr. Vivell. I'm very happy to be here. And I think from a public health practice perspective, the rural study is a great example of practice in action. Surveys and research provide a systematic way of collecting information about a population, its characteristics, factors that influence health, needs, and priorities of a community. And so data collected through these methods inform aspects of public health practice like disease surveillance, policy development, and the implementation and evaluation of programs and services to promote health within a population. And one of the aims of RULE is to address critical gaps in knowledge of heart and lung disease in the southeastern United States. So I'm really excited to learn how Dr. Judd and others involved in RULE are working with the community to accomplish this and are taking theories learned in class like survey design and applying them to develop a better understanding of real world issues like rural health disparities. Right, yeah, no, we're, we're doing our part here in this course. One of the uh, emphases in my course is the importance of pre-testing your questions and talking to colleagues at all about it. And as uh, we'll see, Dr. Judd thankfully emphasizes that as well at the end of the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, but I want to know, what were some of your takeaways from the interview about the importance of getting the community involved in public health practice and, and public health research? Well, one of the things that stood out to me is that community involvement is very, very important to the success of a study like Rule, and community involvement is multifaceted. Um, Dr. Judd talked about how Dr. Allen has been working in the community for the past year. So before they even started or start to collect data, they're building relationships with the community to help spread the word about the purpose of the study. And there's multiple ways that researchers are creating a presence, a presence and level of familiarity within the community from hiring a local community engagement coordinator to posting flyers all over the community to having an open house before the study starts. And all this is very important to help the community feel safe and comfortable participating. And another really cool feature of the rule study, um, and I learned this from watching a podcast or a TEDx with the lead PI of the rule study at Boston is that he used this phrase that the rural study was helping to bridge the physical distance and take science to the people. So I think the mobile unit and other technology is, is a great way that they're providing rural populations with access to services and care they might not have had access to previously. Cool. Thanks. And uh, all right, so we won't uh, wait any longer. Let's jump right into the podcast with Dr. Judd. <laughs> Uh, 
Dr. Judd, thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview. I really appreciate it. And I know that the students in my class in UAB are, are really grateful for the time that you're, you're taking to talk about the rural study. And I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me today. The first question I wanted to ask you is, uh, why do we need another health study like rural? It's a great question. So one of the things that we don't do uh, that other countries do is survey our population regularly to look at trends in various health conditions. Because we don't have a centralized healthcare system, we don't have a very effective means of understanding what are the rates of disease in the population, how is the change in the food supply associated with the change in various chronic diseases? Uh, are there differences in cancer? We know that cancer treatment is constantly changing with new developments in treatments and detection, but how does that impact people's health? We don't have a great mechanism in our country to study that. So these types of health studies are needed so that we can have a group of people that's a representative sample mm. of the U.S. population and we can study their, their risk factors, uh, we can study their disease burden. Uh, in this study in particular, we're in the rural South and never has anything like this been undertaken in the rural South. Uh, and so, you know, speaking to this, this lack of a national infrastructure, it really indicates how large scale and how, how many resources can go into designing this kind of study and really assessing the health of a population. So sometimes we'll have nation states that put forward these kinds of studies collecting this kind of data, but in this case, it's a funded study through the NHLBI, I believe. That's correct. And, and we're asking investigators like you and universities like, like UAB and others to collect this kind of health information. So this is a kind of a mammoth undertaking. I know I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> and so what, what is your, your role in this study? And I, I know that you're the co-PI with Dr. Shantice Allen. So what kinds of responsibilities do you have as the co-PI of this study? That's, um, you're exactly correct when you talk about the mammoth undertaking. We are actually taking truck, a truck, a very large truck that hooks up to the back of a semi into 10 rural counties in the southeast. And we have to design that truck from wheels to ceiling. Uh, we're getting a CT scanner to examine the arteries of the heart, to examine the carotid artery, to take a picture of the lungs. We have an EKG, which me measures the electrical impulses in the heart and helps us to know if it's beating properly. We have an echo that again, visualizes the heart so you can see the individual chambers and how the blood flows. We're drawing blood. We're asking a battery of questionnaires that will take nearly 45 minutes um, at two separate occasions, so 90 minutes total to assess everything from uh, diet to stressors that people have maybe mm -hmm. in their homes or their jobs, um, discrimination that's occurred in their life, ask them about their neighborhood, how safe their neighborhood is. So you can imagine this is a huge undertaking. Yeah. And we have to make sure that when they come into our truck, they're safe, that they feel like they're, they're comfortable so they can answer these questionnaires. You know, in the era of coronavirus and SARS-CoV-2, we have to make sure that we're not um, serving as a means to continue to spread the virus. So it is, it's a huge undertaking and all while making people feel comfortable and content to be there. We, you know, it's, it's just a lot that you have to put together. You have yeah. to get different licensing for different counties. In the U.S., just one challenge that people don't think about, we're in four separate states um, and we're taking a CT machine, which is a piece of radiologic equipment and we're uh, doing a, a lung test that requires us to give albuterol, which is the inhaler that people use for asthma. 
And that requires a physician. Well, in the U.S., physicians are licensed only to practice in the state they're in. Ah. So we have to get different physicians in every state to, to administer these very basic tests. So little things like that you can't imagine, but it's a lot of coordination. My role specifically involves all of the bits and pieces. So making sure that we have regulatory approvals, making sure that we have the licenses we need, that we have the staff that we need, that I'm, I'm staying in contact with participants, that we're spending money appropriately. People don't think about that, but it's really important in research that somebody oversee the spending to verify that we are spending money on what we said we would spend money on. Uh, so I'm responsible for all those types of activities. Dr. Allen, Shantice Allen is responsible for the community pieces because equally important in these rural communities is a relationship and having a good relationship with these communities. They haven't participated in research studies like this before. So she's been going in there for the past year, holding focus groups, talking to people about what we're doing. We'd like to use their smartphones to track them so we can see how much physical activity they're getting. We can use it to give them reminders, to do questionnaires. We, we're giving them a Fitbit as well, so it will sync with their Fitbit and we can get sleep and, and all different types of things that are happening. But we wanna make sure they know what we're doing and they understand that we're collecting all of this data and what we're doing with the data because that can be confusing for people if they've never thought about being in a research study before. That actually leads into one of my questions that I have. You touched on a number of things. I wanted to ask you about the mobile unit that you're designing, which sounds amazing. Um, but since we've, we've talked about uh, the importance of building those community relationships that Dr. Allen is helping you with, what are some of the ways in which you're recruiting participants for the rural study? We are going to use an address-based sample. Um, in order to have it be representative, we want to randomly select certain households to participate. But in order to get people to open that envelope when it makes it to their house, we have to be out there talking to people. We're going to put up a couple of billboards in the county. We're putting uh, flyers in their, their um, grocery bags at the grocery store, at the gas station, um, at the liquor store. We've got flyers all over the place, the health department, so that they know what the rural study is and know that we're there. We're also going, this is going to be kind of a big deal in some of these counties. A big semi-truck is going to be uh, parked in an open parking lot. So people will see it. They'll see our logo. And in the first week and a half before we open up the MEU, the truck for examinations, we're going to let community members come in, tour the MEU, talk to us about what we're doing. We're going to hold a big open house uh, for people that want to participate that weren't selected. We're going to hold their names in a list. And as, if the study goes along, um, if we wind up needing a few more folks, we're gonna ask them to participate. We may even give them a brief exam, uh, blood pressure, a finger stick glucose, um, and some, some basic questions and information about cardiovascular health. So that community piece where you're out there talking to folks, that's the most important thing because we want the people to open the envelope when they get it and say, mm. okay, I know the rural study. And yeah, I wanna go to the truck and see what's happening there. That's really interesting. So the, um, the textbook that we use in a, in, a, in a survey course is by Don Dillman, and he gives a, a lot of strategies on how to get participants to open up that envelope. And one of the strategies that he suggests is sort of this pre-notification letter or, hey, just so you know, you are going to receive an invitation to complete in a survey. So sort of multiple pre-contacts. So potential participants know that this is coming 
as a way to try and improve the legitimacy of the study that they're going to participate in. And it sounds like you've taken that suggestion and just like ran with it with the posting of the billboards. Uh, that's, that's awesome. So they know this is a, this is the real deal. This is a legitimate study that they're participating in. And they, when they get that envelope, they know what it is. They know that it's not a bill or not spam. It's, it's the rural study. Absolutely. And we've also hired a community engagement coordinator in each county that lives in the county. Uh, we thought it was important to have a local person who was on the rural team to help us do the advertising, the focus group work. Um, and we've hired an AmeriCorps VISTA in each county. And an AmeriCorps VISTA is a recent college graduate who hasn't yet found full-time work. Um, they participate in the VISTA program. They get additional money to either pay down their student loans or go back and pursue a graduate degree. It's really a win-win for the student and for the community because it's uh, someone that's from the community that can really work with us and um, help us to understand the local dynamics that might be happening. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to shift gears a little bit because I think some of the students listening, they might not have a $26 million or so uh, grant to pay for billboards and to hire AmeriCorps volunteers to help with, with the study. One of the questions that I, I have is who gets to decide what questions to go on the survey? So in my, in my experience, you know, there are some really cool studies out there like regards or cardia, and sometimes to give people the opportunity to add additional questions to that questionnaire bank. Uh, so I have a real appreciation for how valuable it is to sort of get your question that you want on onto the study. So right from like the get-go, how are you all deciding what questions get to go into the survey? That is a great question. Um, and that is probably the hardest thing that we do. It's, um, at least from my perspective, in terms of all the types of coordinating we do, uh, getting people that are all very senior in their field and all experts in their own domain to sit around a table together um, and decide what questions matter and what questions need to be saved for a future date is the most incredibly painful part of this whole process. Uh, generally, it starts out and you, you get questions submitted from always validated instruments. So we start with validated instruments. And typically, you wind up with somewhere between a six and an eight hour set of questions that want to be asked. And obviously, that's ridiculous. We cannot expect people to participate in a six or eight hour um, survey. So you want to get it down to about, um, again, if you want to quote Dillman, you want to get it down to about a 45-minute interview. That's about as long as you can really expect to keep people's attention span. So you go through this process of, okay, what's the purpose of the question? How many papers will it result in? Who's the audience? Who else might want to use the data? Is this the best way to collect this data? Or is there a, a medical way that we could collect? For example, um, the cholesterol questions. The best way to understand cholesterol is to check someone's cholesterol. But some people wanna know, have you been to a doctor to have your cholesterol checked? Do you get it checked every year? Um, do you consider yourself to have high cholesterol? So sometimes you can cut out a couple of those questions with a biomarker, um, and that's just part of the process. But I have to say, it is painful. I've done it for regards and rural. And especially right now with COVID, a lot of people are wanting to add these new COVID questions to various questionnaires. And it just gets tricky. Everybody has a favorite domain and they all want to ask their question. And they think that, no, hemostasis and coagulation, that's what matters. Um, so, and then you've got somebody else who says, no, it's community impact, that's what matters. So it's tricky. Um, you have to go into it with a good attitude 
And honestly, it probably takes 50 to 60 hours of, of time per investigator. So if you've got 10 investigators there, you're talking about 500 hours worth of investigator time to put these questionnaires together. It's, it's tough. Yeah, well, what you want to get that question in right from the very beginning. So I, partly so you can look at changes over time. And uh, if you're collecting that same measure over and over uh, again, you know, I've, we've all used a study where they asked the question one way at the beginning, and then they changed it in the middle of the study. And it makes it yeah. harder to, to make those kinds of comparisons. So I definitely understand the desire to get one's personal set of questions right at, at baseline. Uh, yep. And hopefully it's <laughs> that question stays with the rest uh, of the study. In, in addition to deciding what, what questions go uh, onto the survey, um, you, you talked a little bit about your experience with regards. And certainly, I'm sure that your experiences with regards has informed some of the approach that you've taken to rural. So what are some of the lessons that you've taken from regards with you to rural? You know, a lot of the lessons I've taken uh, with me have to do with how you engage the whole team and how you work with, these are large, large teams. Um, sometimes the, the meeting I was just on last week for Rural had 65 different investigators, all with MDs or PhDs. So you sit in a room with 65 people that all have MDs and PhDs and coordination of that is, is the trickiest part. Um, it's the, the part that I learned Actually, even before I got to regards, uh, I was doing clinical trials for diapers uh, back in the day with the Kimberly Clark Corporation. And then it was engineers. It was 30 engineers that I was having to work with. And the key is to have systems in place where everyone gets the chance to feel like you listen to their feedback, that you actually gave some brain power to it to, um, to think about why you are or are not going to do it, and then have a, a very clear reason why you're going in the direction you're going. And people need to see that, that transparency, that process of communication, that is the most important piece um, when you're doing a study like this. And th those lessons started with me from regards and then, and then move forward into rural. Um, you also can't over communicate with people. Nobody wants a hundred emails and a meeting every single day. So you have to strike that balance and it's not always easy. I also can appreciate your efforts not to over communicate with, <laughs> with people. I am spending way too much time on my, on my email inbox. So I think over communication is, can be a real risk. Yes, absolutely. So I just have a, a two more questions for you. And my, my first question, you've kind of alluded to this a couple of times now, both with the development of the mobile examination unit as well as some of your early experiences doing cl clinical trials for diapers. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you have an engineering background. I do. How do you, do you think having an engineering background has helped you with the design and implementation of rural? Absolutely. Uh, that engineering background, that always having a focus on the budget, that's the first thing you do in engineering school. There's the scientific way to do it, and then there's what you can afford. And you have to constantly walk the line between what you can afford and perfection. And I think that that piece of my training as an engineer has served me well uh, as I've gotten into running some of these large trials. Also, the, the having to balance between multiple perspectives, we never want to compromise safety. So making sure safety stays at the front of everything we do, because it can get lost. You can imagine in, in a large group setting, 
even though people don't want to lose the thought about safety, it can get lost. So that engineering background helps me with that as well to keep safety in the, the forefront and then being able to wade through lots and lots of information um, and, and, and categorize it into bins. You know, what do we have to know today? What can wait till tomorrow? And what have we already made a decision on? That kind of organizational thinking, my engineering background definitely has helped me with that as well in yeah. these large studies. Yeah, in, uh, in an interview that you did with, for a UAB article, you described the um, mobile examination unit as this is an engineering challenge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thinking about that broadly, it's, you know, it's an engineering challenge, not just for the design of that mobile unit, for, but just for the development and implementation of the survey as a whole. There are so many moving parts that have to work together for, for the survey to work. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many moving parts. And, um, and so many people that have to be communicated with. And, you know, one of the, the uh, downsides of my engineering training was that we're always very quick and short in our communication. We answer questions with yeses and nos, but I've, um, I've heard a few people's feelings because I'm too uh, abrupt in my communication. And so I've had to learn to, to make lengthier sentences. <laughs> so That's that interesting. <laughs> so that was one of the, we're actually talking about this in the class in terms of, is it better to ask a short question or a long question in your, in your survey? And, you know, there's lots of different factors that go into that. So there's this uh, book uh, written, it's really written from a, from a marketing perspective on asking questions, the art of, of asking questions. And there is some research that the re respondents will mirror the length of the question in their answer. So if you, uh, if you give this long-winded question, it kind of sends the message that you're expecting this long-winded answer. Yep. And so we do, the, the length of sentences does send a signal about, well, how important is this, what, blah, blah, blah. So uh, that's interesting that you've, had to, you've noticed that and had to pay attention to the length of your responses to inquiry. Absolutely. If I give too short of a response, people don't think, even though it's a yes or no question, they don't feel like I spent enough time thinking about it. So I have to have my, the length of my response um, seem a little more uh, thoughtful. Well, in the spirit of an engineer, we'll keep this short and this will be the last question. Okay. Okay. And I just wanted to know if you had any final pieces of advice for students in a survey design course or students not in a survey design course, but thinking about either designing their survey for collecting data for their dissertation. Or, you know, I had a student that, you know, said they were interested in making the next regard study. So we have like a whole spectrum uh, of interests. Although I think for most of the students, their, their aspirations are not yet as high as making the next regards. But for those students that are wanting to do a survey and to collect data, the smallest survey or the largest survey, based on your experiences generally with rural, with regards, what kinds of advice would you give them? First and foremost, get a team of folks together that you can bounce your questions off of. I think the What's really exciting about what's happening right now is that we're probably learning that the way we've always done things is not the way we have to do things. And for the students in your class, I think there are some online opportunities for digital surveys that are much cheaper than what we do in, in rural and in regards. We'll still need big surveys to reach out to communities that might not respond to a di digital survey, but there are going to be opportunities in the future to do survey research much more cheaply than what we've done it in the past. So for those students that are passionate about survey design, 
keep your ideas of, of um, what you want to study, how you want to ask the questions, and have your team of folks. You may think you have the best question ever, but be sure you've bounced it off somebody first. Be sure that it's not offensive and it doesn't mean different things in different communities. That this is at the time we really need great surveys to get a feeling of what people are actually doing. And honestly, if you look at it out there, most of the data that um, an individual consumes, they come from surveys that news outlets are doing. So it, it, I don't think you have to do the next regards or the next rural if you've got a great survey idea uh, and you want to get it out there. So I would encourage your students to go for it. See what you can do. Help us get better data so that we can make better health decisions for the population. Perfect. Dr. Judd, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. 